2: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome
2: to Sick Boy, a podcast that talks about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Katie. She manages both OCD and anorexia. Let's talk about it. It is literally neither here nor there.
1: But you know what is here and there... Is our guest tonight, Katie? Hi. Hi. (laughs) How'd you like that for a transition? That was pretty good, good, eh? I thought it was mediocre. Here, pull that that mic right up close to your face. It wasn't much of a segue because you started recording. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You
2: started the recording right in the middle of the segue. So it wasn't really, for the listeners, it wasn't segueing from anything.
1: (laughs) Sometimes yeah. we just cut into that, though, and people just don't just know. just the beginning. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm... So here, I want to throw this out there right away. I'm excited for this episode for two reasons. Number one, the last time we covered one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, it was one of my, like... One, it was an episode that blew my mind. OCD. We're going to be talking about OCD. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but we're also going to be talking about, I think... Um, eating disorders as well, yeah. which is also a topic that every fucking time we get into on the show blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Also, the feedback that we get from those episodes is always a little bit mind-blowing. Have you listened to, do you know what Sick Boy Podcast is?
3: Yeah. I've heard about <laughs> it vaguely, just <laughs> okay. randomly. Okay, good. Cool. I'm but glad we no, found um, you. Those disorders are actually, from what I've read, they're cousin disorders. Yeah. So they're very similar. And I read mm. somewhere that in the next DSM, <laughs> they're thinking about putting anorexia eating disorders under OCD. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. anorexia, the <clears throat> lack of eating and exercise um, are compulsions. That are very mm. similar to OCD compulsions. Yeah. With the intrusive thought of, I'm fat or I'm gaining weight, therefore I have to do this thing. Mm. And typically, people with eating disorders have special numbers. One of my best friends also has an eating disorder. So she has actually educated me on um, when I developed one and was like, what the fuck's going on? And you like, just
2: blew uh, my mind in the. in.
3: in I know. In, I was thinking we've been recording thing. for two minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. That makes so much sense, yeah, the, the relationship between the two things. My
3: psychiatrist was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, oh, you yeah. have both together? Yeah. Like, that like, it sucks.
2: It's like one of those things
0: where you're like, oh, I've never thought of it that way. But as soon as you explain it like that, yeah. it just it, it makes yeah. total sense. Yeah.
3: Well, you guys had someone on Kenzie. And yeah. I think she talked about, like she has anorexia and she talked about someone for OCD. Yeah, yeah. So it's just very common.
1: Um, put a pause on that for one second okay we're back had to fix a little audio technical issue uh but uh the people listening to this don't even know that we took a three-minute break the
2: magic of of editing
1: um so so katie what came first the chicken or the egg
3: (laughs) the ocd or the philosophically yes 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 yes, yes. (laughs) in
1: general uh what came Um, first the ocd or the or the eating disorder
3: yeah, the okay. OCD started first. Um, I've had it since I was a child, right? So, like ten years old. Um, it made me very physically ill. So I had what I believe is called somatic, a somatic disorder, where your brain is so stressed out that it could cause physical pain in your body. Whoa. So what happened That's was that growing up, I was always very ill. I always got uh, fevers. I had a lot of stomach pain. I was brought to the hospital all the time. And my parents were just kind of like, Oh, you know, she probably has a, an, an allergy. She probably is just sick. Um,
2: Wait, so you, were, you you
0: were like, yeah. you were basically <laughs> willing yourself to like mentally spurring on physical illness within your body.
3: Basically, like I think it was just the stress associated with my intrusive thoughts and my compulsions. Like I was just so stressed as a kid because I was like, I'm not normal.
1: So just to just to kind of like like rewind a little bit, because we did we recently in Vancouver uh, recently with like within the last 12 months or so spoke with a, uh, a woman named Megan who had OCD. Mm-hmm. And, um, for anyone who may have missed that episode, cause she, she, we actually went through a lot of these things like, uh, like, like intrusive thoughts and, and like how OCD can like manifest physically. What, like what, what are intrusive thoughts?
3: Intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts. So they come into your brain and they make you uncomfortable. They make you anxious and they make you so anxious that you feel the need to have a like to do a compulsion, something that's going to make them less anxiety provoking. So I had thoughts that my parents were going to die and it was going to be my fault. So mm. basically, I would think, you know, I need to do all these different things. I needed to rearrange my room all the time. I needed to wash my hands. I need to do all these different things in order to avoid my parents dying. And so that was like really stressful as a 10 year old.
2: (laughs) Are you, I mean, obviously as a 10 year old, I'm assuming you, you, you can't, you can't like rationalize or go, these are. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do these or, (laughs) or these don't make, there's no relationship between washing my hands and my parents dying. Like it's very, obviously very hard for you to, could you, but like, was there, no, no,
3: I mean, if you think about it back then, like even watching movies and stuff, like it's called magical thinking. So like these associations you have, assuming like these bad things are going to happen to you just because. Mm
1: -hmm. Magical thinking Sounds so fun And it
3: wasn't It it. It was terrible So how
0: often Does it happen though Because like I think of When I was Like maybe 10 years old um, You know that That little rhyme If you step on a crack (laughs) You break your mother's back Yeah So like I would walk down the street And that rhyme Would come into my head sometimes And I'm like Oh Uh shit I can't step on cracks Or I'm gonna break my mom's back Right But like I would do that for five minutes and then just yeah. forget about it. Yeah. And it's it, like I mean, a fun game. It wasn't a dis it didn't cause disorder in my
1: life. Yeah. But then yeah. Katie steps on the crack and she's like, Fuck and goes home and washes her hands until they bleed. <laughs> and then goes but, back out. So but how often was that happening? Like the rearranging of your
0: room just and washing your hands? Every
3: and- day, morning to night. So I had morning Jeez. rituals, I had during the day rituals, I had night rituals. It took me like forty five minutes or to an hour to get to bed just at, because of how many things I had to do before going to bed. At ten. Yeah. So, and growing up till about seventeen because I went untreated that whole time.
2: And like was that was that happening before you were ten in a way that you just like couldn't actually think about or or understand was really happening? And it's actually your it going. Was oh, it was just my norm.
3: That's the thing. Like, that's all I I knew. I kind of knew it was weird. I kind of knew that none of my friends did that. But it was my reality. It was a part of what I just had to do.
1: What did your parents see?
3: They saw what they described was as an an eccentric kid. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They saw my rituals. They saw, like, I would align my socks and, like, I would you know, align mm. my plates and stuff. And they just thought like, wow, we have a really weird kid. Mm. <laughs> like that right. was totally normal. Weird, no, but maybe as a parent, Katie. maybe yeah. as a parent,
0: you'd think like, oh, my kid is really neat. This is yeah. amazing. Yeah.
3: Well, one of my intrusive <laughs> uh, thoughts, well, no, one of my compulsions was about being super honest. So I was always, I never did anything bad as a kid because I, <laughs> just it it just caused too much anxiety so I would always be super honest with my parents and my mom told me she was like I thought I was just so lucky like I have this kid that doesn't want to do anything bad yeah I mean mean, it makes sense
1: because it's like you 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 know you don't have the the wherewithal to communicate the the shit that's going on in your head and so it's like I I I just I want to say that because I don't want anyone to listen to this and go Oh, well, clearly Katie's parents were fucked. No, like, they no, no, not know Because, no. like, you, you wouldn't, I don't think you would see that. You would just no. see, like, well, look how, like, look how cute. She's so fucking neat and tidy I and, like, sweet.
3: For them, they looked at me, and, like, I am turning 24 this year. Like, there wasn't a lot of education around mental illness or mental health when I was younger, so my parents associated mental illness with like trauma or, mm-hmm. you know, someone living in a bad home, someone who has gone through a lot. I had a really happy childhood. Yeah. I was really, really lucky. Not so, something
2: that like that you happy, go lucky child mm-hmm. who has like a good home environment, whatever. Not something that someone like that gets. Yeah, has, exactly. So, gets so they're looking at me
3: and they're language. like, you know, she's like happy and you know we didn't do anything so mm. they weren't prepared for that at all
2: That's a really interesting um I've never really thought about it that way that like a sh- a shift in like overall uh uh perception of mental health being something that happens as a result of of uh you know whatever uh, a bad home environment mm-hmm. or things like that like that where where it's something that trauma, yeah, trauma, that yeah. something has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it is
0: really interesting to think about too. Like if you haven't been exposed to that through your entire life and you grow up and you know, you have kids and you don't understand what mental illness looks like mm. as a parent, yeah. how, like, why would you have this set or tools to yeah. um, mm-hmm. be able to handle that? Yeah, yeah, very
2: much so. And, and again, like it, it's, if it's, are you, is there uh, are you, do you have any brothers or sisters? Or? I do.
3: I have an older brother. You have an older and brother? that's sort of when my parents really had to step in. Because he went through a psychosis when he was 17 or 18. And so what that looked like was him coming to my parents and saying, I'm having really dark thoughts. I feel like people are after me. I feel like someone's going to shoot me. I don't feel safe. And so that's when they had to sort of step in and say, oh my God, like what? what's going on? And... So they went to doctors, um, and the doctors immediately put them on antipsychotics. And so that spiraled things. And his and your brother's not, words. like, involved in
0: gangs or anything like no, that? No, he's
3: just... your He was, like, your basic athlete. Like, he was, like, popular jock kind of dude. Like, he... Was I say that kind funny. of
0: tongue-in-cheek, but, like, also <laughs> just know, to get... I know what you Like, mean.
1: like yeah. I was joking, but I was also just getting some
0: clarity yeah, around he it. he wasn't
3: into <laughs> drugs or anything. Like, and just... And
1: he was 17 at the time? Yeah. And how old were you?
3: I would have been 15. So I was still in high school. Wow, jeez. Um, I remember... So when he was going through that, my parents were so stressed out, they wanted to focus all their time on him. So they kind of told me, they were asking me if I would mind moving in with my aunt and uncle and my cousins in Alberta. So I knew they were asking, but I knew that there wasn't kind of an option, you know, like they needed that time with him. He was so, so sick. So I decided to move. And during this time, I was untreated for my OCD. And I just kind of decided to hide it because it was, you know, one kid with psychosis. You don't need another kid who's like... Oh, so, so
1: at 15, you're now, I, I mean, sort of like bounce back and forth. But like at 15 now, you you felt like you were sort of getting a grasp on like, oh, I, I actually like it's beyond like oh i'm a little bit different from my friends and you're starting to grasp like oh i might have a mental illness
3: yeah at that point i i knew but i just knew there wasn't really anything i could do about it like i at that point i was like okay the attention has to be on my brother and i just have to be okay like they need one kid that's yeah. not sick
1: how no. did you find how did you come to know like like for you know wh- what was the where was that shift in perspective where you started to say, Oh wait, like I'm i I'm sick.
3: Social media a little. Um, I remember there was like this weird reality show where they, it was like one of those stupid Dr. Phil or Oprah or something where, you know, someone came on and they were just like, Maury. I have these feelings and like <laughs> these thoughts and they make me want to do this and they make me want to do that. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, that's just like me.
2: <laughs> Did you ever have anybody that? This is, or maybe I'll I won't explain it first, I'll just ask the question. Did did you ever have anybody before that like say that to you where you kind of rejected that idea and then and then you hear it kind of in a you kind of hear it from a third party like you're watching that uh that thing where you're hearing somebody else describe it for themselves and going, Oh, because I find that, you know, I have a tendency if somebody tells me directly, like, you have this you have if issue. issue, I'm like, fuck you.
1: But <laughs> yeah, like like when I'm like, Taylor, you're an asshole. And you're like, fuck God, you. Fuck you. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. And then you see in a movie yeah. some guys being an asshole. And then you're like, you're oh, like, that's no. like me. Wait, that's, that's me. I do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. in all
2: seriousness, exactly that. Like, uh,
3: <laughs> I don't know if I actually rejected it or anything. It was just kind of like I saw that and it just really felt right Mm. but I didn't do anything about it because I didn't think there was really anything I could do you know it was just kind of strange and if anything I postponed sort of thinking about that because the phrase "I'm so OCD" was everywhere. Right, so there was yeah. a time where I thought maybe a lot of people had OCD, and I was just like not handling oh. it well, and everyone else was getting over it. So I need to get over it too. Right? It's
1: like puberty. It's like e- we all go
0: through puberty, <laughs> and we all get over we our all OCD. Get OCD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like
3: it's just get over it. But You're did complaining
0: did OCD to you, or w- w- even if you didn't have a title for it, then did you feel like what you were living with was a negative thing, or was it like, hey, it this is just negative. me? Yeah.
3: It was really, really hard. And I think for a while, when I was living in Alberta, too, it got way worse to the point that um, I could barely eat. I was probably 90 pounds. Oh, well. Um, I wasn't sleeping a lot. I remember like going to high school, and I remember one of my friends looking at me and saying, wow, you look terrible. <laughs> you look like a zombie. Because my rituals would be so annoying. I would just fall asleep with all the lights on from like 10 to 2 in the morning and then wake up and then have to do them anyway for an hour. So at that point in time, I was so wear and tear just Exhausted, and this was
1: the physical manifestations of it coming out, like your yeah, the weight loss it. and the yeah. and the lack of sleep and stuff like that.
3: Yeah did no. your
1: did your rituals um,
0: include like restrictive eating or no? Like, actually,
3: at okay. that point, eating was just hard to do because I always felt in pain when I ate because of how anxious I was, and I had convinced myself I probably had a health issue that I just wasn't aware of. So, I thought I didn't think anything of that. I just thought, oh, I have OCD, and I just happened to like maybe have a health condition. What, he
1: what's her. the what's the Power Rangers thing?
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so as a kid, some of my intrusive thoughts beyond the whole my parents dying thing, um, included a scene <laughs>
2: just, <brush right> <laughs> just beyond that yeah, no, <laughs> that it's like old thing super chill now.
3: <laughs> um, one of them included so I used to watch Power Rangers like at six in the morning as a kid right Same and here, um, yeah. the red Power Ranger turned out to be a robot which is pretty fucking mind blowing to me I don't know about you guys
2: wow that. I don't remember that specifically um, but it was shocking to me you mean Jason the Red Ranger yeah th- it was, it, was it Jason yeah, it, it was in Jason. my head I was like that's Jason in the original oh,
0: Power Rangers
1: it I
2: was think dead. I'm remembering that
1: that's what I thought too
3: well when when that happened, my OCD was like, you're probably a robot, too. <laughs> so, oh. then I, so like for a while, I thought I was a robot. And J- then, Jason
1: Lee Scott, just to clear that up. Oh, it's Jason you. Lee Scott.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Like, um, did you like how fully are you fully?
3: As a kid, well, also, I think part of it was like I had to do all these new rituals just to handle with the anxiety that like you're a robot or and then it eventually evolved to you're an alien. And then it eventually evolved to you're not related to your parents, which Whoa. also doesn't help when you have an older sibling. So it's so, like you're adopted. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, know that, <laughs> right. I know that these things aren't
2: um, I know that they're not rational. Oh, but, they're totally but, not. but how do you how do you choose? What's what what the, what the ritual, like what thing becomes a part of the ritual? Like how do you go, how do you get from this is a thing and to deal with this, I need to do this?
3: Um, with OCD, there has never been a clear indication why I do certain things. The only thing that actually was a clear indication to me was the cleanliness, which I don't have a lot of cleanliness rituals. But the ones that I did have, I had a fear that my parents would die or that my friends would die because I was carrying a germ or I was kill- carrying an illness that would later on pass to them. So those were like the the hand washing and stuff. Those were like the only compulsions that I could. Say I'm
2: sorry for that. talking about coronavirus <laughs> <Never> so long. <laughs> no, before. don't worry
3: about it. Like I'm, I'm. I don't. That, that's really not care there about anymore. anymore <laughs> okay. No. I'm wouldn't, not that. Wouldn't stereotype. it be crazy if
0: you if you realized that you had OCD, and then you were like, whoa, my parents could die as a result of me having OCD, and then you o- un-OCD'd your OCD by having OCD about it? <laughs> what? you know Dude, what I you, mean? you lost I, me
2: I, at OCD I, you, I, you you the first Taylor? time. I followed, you, I followed you at the very beginning because it did actually make sense that you could reverse yourself out of it from thinking that having it would do something. But... That's it's not just, really relevant to
0: this conversation, but anyway.
2: Else. Yeah, it was, it was very, very, um, it was very, very Inception, um, like Christopher well, Nolan of you. That's kind of what
1: I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, Stop talking like a robot, dude. Um, this is all a simulation oh. anyway.
3: A little triggered there. This is all a
1: simulation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so did you, like, how did that, did... Like I, I guess when I hear these kinds of things, it's like oh I, I watched the Power Rangers and I thought I was a robot and then and then I started to think I was an alien and then I started to believe that I wasn't like from my parents. How how do those things do do those types of things where you know where you you're left untreated? You're not seeing um, a therapist mm-hmm. through this period of time. Yeah. Um, do do they do they kind of fizzle out or not? Maybe not fizzle out, but do, do they like evolve? out so far that like they've they're no longer the robot thing is so fucking far gone now it's it's off to it just like is this constant evolving it
3: constantly changes as I kept going on in my life my anxieties changed right just Mm -hmm. like anyone would um when I was 17 or 16 I had my first boyfriend and I remember someone telling me you guys look so much alike and then my OCD thought was, we're related. We're 100% related. And I don't know. And this is disgusting. And so I had so many intrusive oh, thoughts about no. that. And I almost broke up with him because I was so stressed out by the thought that we were related.
0: Did you communicate that to him or what? No, like,
3: because I didn't want whoa. him to think I was crazy. Oh, which, no. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just it's It's fucked. But, yeah. um I would go to my mom and just be like i need you to remind me that I'm not related to my boyfriend like I'm so stressed <laughs> out about this you well, to what was you like your like mom a, saying
1: about that was she just she, like I, I don't think i, I mean <laughs> i can call his
2: parents have you done a genetic <laughs> test yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. is it is it a battle between is it a is it a battle between the rational and the irrational mind like you're going like one part of you's going yeah we're related And the other part of you's going shut up no that's then we're not That
3: is a uh, therapy. When I found my psychologist, I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy and a lot of it had to do. She always referenced a courtroom. Right. And you have your rational side and your mm. irrational side mm. b- battling it out. Right? right. Just trying to justify, <clears throat> you know, and, and it's not like you're disregarding the irrational thought. You're just delving into it. Like, why are you having this? Could it potentially be rational? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, having a rational side. Yeah. Be like linked. a
2: courtroom. You're trying to pick it apart. Like yeah, you're trying exactly. To you're find not, the you're holes. not
3: saying that it, it doesn't have any potential. Right. You're not just like ignoring it because yeah. that's not healthy.
2: Sure. Um, how, did, how did you find
0: uh, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy? Did it work well for you?
3: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> it, was, it was amazing. Um, it got me to, I think, 70% of where I needed to be. Um, my psychologist was amazing and she was the first person who told me you're, you have severe OCD, like you're not making this up. This is a real thing. Um, and I want to help you, which was a huge thing. Was
1: this in Alberta?
3: No, this is in Ontario. I moved to Alberta and I eventually came back to Ontario and, um, and, and at that point, when I, when I was in Alberta, I had a breaking point where I just said to my mom, I was expressing uh, indirectly that I was suicidal and that I was thinking mm. about killing myself. And so I just kind of said to her, if I don't get help for this, I don't want to be here anymore. There's no point. And so she took that very seriously. Um, when she saw me too, she was very concerned about my weight. She was convinced there was something wrong there. So we went to the psychologist and I saw her for like three years or so on and off. Um, And she was super, super helpful. But it turned out when I was in university that I had a breaking point and I needed to go on medication.
0: What did that breaking point look like?
3: Um, One summer I had unprotected sex and... I had a thought, I had an STI, and it just made me lose it. Like, I wanted to kill myself. I was so, so horrified, and I told my parents, and I laid in my bed for three days and just was thinking about the many ways I can do it. And and my mom came in the room one day, and she kind of said, so... You could stay here, or maybe we should go to the hospital. Which option would you like? And I said, staying here. And she said, joke's on you. We're going to the hospital. <laughs> and then it Good became, joke, Mom. <laughs> and then it became this family affair where my dad, my mom, my brother, we all went to the hospital together. I saw three psychiatrists um, who were sort of like the people that we were talking to about, should we admit her, should we not? Two of them were super... <laughs> Uh, I guess for lack of a better word, dicks. Like they mm. just weren't nice. Um, very judgmental about my uh, sex life and very like. Really? Yeah, very much like, well, you did it to yourself. And like, whoa. You know? whoa. So yeah. that was very upsetting. And I was like, were your
1: parents uh, there for no. that? No. Okay. Um,
3: maybe. I I actually don't remember. I blocked a lot of that out. Mm. I just remember feeling fury, like, or just.
1: Yeah, just being
3: like if I wasn't so zonked, like if I wasn't just so out of it, I would have fucking ripped them a new one. Yeah, because I was infuriated. It was the last psychiatrist I spoke to who was phenomenal and so kind. And he treated me like a human being, which was wild. A wild concept in psychiatry.
1: I, I, just, uh, I'm just. I'm trying. Like I'm. I was following the story, and that. And now we're talking about three psychiat. Is this all? How is this happening? Is this like they put you in a room and they're like, all right, let's uh, let's just uh g- let's grab three of you guys and one at a time go in there and see what you think. I or, think it was or or
3: three were different you different rooms? I I don't know. It was <laughs> it was like the weirdest night. I felt like I was, it was on all a over one night. Trip. Yeah. Oh, I, like wow. it just, it was so strange. Like I was, I was barely even talking, but I remember the last psychiatrist mm. was kind of like, what are your aspirations? What do you want to do with your life? And what makes you passionate? And then he asked about my illnesses and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. he was the one who told my parents, she doesn't need to be admitted. She needs to be medicated. And she has too many good things going on with her life right now to be admitted. That's and amazing. So hmm. that ultimately led me to not be admitted, which was wonderful because the general hospital in Ottawa sucks.
1: <laughs> so you so that was the right choice in your mind
2: was
3: yeah. yeah. Also it sucks in terms of psychiatric care. I don't know about the rest. Of it. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure <laughs> I know right. you had a good experience. It's so <laughs>
2: wild how like when you were explaining the idea of, you know, you have unprotected sex and then you have this thought about mm-hmm. getting an STI and just how in most of the scenarios, like the thoughts that you've talked about coming up are, are the beginnings of like, of, of things that most of us all think about, you know? Absolutely. And it's like, they just have, they, they just don't have, it's like the mind doesn't have the checks and balances that are supposed to be there to go, to then come to the eventual conclusion that it's like, Oh, I can, I can, I can go about this and find out what the actual, uh, like whether I do or not, or mm-hmm. what, you know, like, you know, everybody's going to have, um, like, everybody who has unprotected sex, it's a very rational thought to go, yeah, you know, maybe I have an STI and I should go get checked and blah, 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 blah. And, then, and a
3: healthy person yeah. is able to conceptualize for the most part, you know, oh, okay, this is what it is. And like, right. I could go get treated. Yeah. I could go do X, Y, Z. It's like the
2: spiraling, the yeah. spiraling of the, it's like the beginnings of a rational thought that spiral out of control
3: mm-hmm. into,
2: these other realms it's kind of like when it almost reminds me of like when you're sitting around and you know like meditation can sometimes i find if you try to meditate and you're trying Mm -hmm. to think on one thing and then all of a sudden five minutes later you realize you're thinking about this thing that just seems like worlds away from where you started and you wonder like how did i get here mentally Mm. like Mm -hmm. how did i how did my mind get to this place yeah Yeah. it almost reminds me of like of 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 that of that in the way that you know your mind can go to these exceptional places that Mm -hmm. uh, that you know, ultimately, cause you stress and anxiety that are you know, crippling,
3: yeah. to a large degree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's
2: it's it's um it's, you know, I hate to word the use the word interesting and fascinating like <laughs> overly, but, <laughs> but it, it, is. it is. But it, it is totally yeah. is. Yeah, <clears throat> when when you're um
0: when you have this experience and you go to the hospital and end up getting on medication, um, you you mentioned that you said to the psychiatrist that things were going. There's a lot of great things happening in your life. Yeah. I imagine that going to the hospital and going through that was would probably be a bit of a setback. Yeah. Was it challenging to kind of recover from that? Or was it helpful that there was this supportive person that kind of like gave you some of the tools and medication to get better?
3: It Bettered, was in quotation marks. difficult. I mean... What I didn't like was that a lot of my family members knew what happened and were kind of treating me. They weren't treating me badly, obviously. It was more like, you know, we're going to be a little more cautious, a little more sensitive because you're fragile right now. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really like that. It was kind of hard to get through that. Um, But other than that, and I took I took some time off work, obviously. But after that, I was pretty good. Like it actually was pretty good. Quick, and I think that um, psychiatric hospitals and things like that—that that was a norm for me because my brother was admitted in a psychiatric hospital lots and lots of times. I've been in the schizophrenia ro- uh, ward of the Royal Hospital, and like I've seen all that before. So, like by
2: this time, you had already yeah been exposed to that. Already.
3: Yeah, my brother was actually admitted into the hospital a couple weeks after that.
2: <laughs> after you oh. were there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: so he
0: does he have OCD as well?
3: He does actually. yeah, he has severe OCD. Um, we have similar compulsions. We've had similar um, numbers where we we both find comfort in even numbers like two and four, and we both hate the number three.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. number three oh, really? is my favorite number.
3: It's like wow. the it's like the devil. Like I don't know how oh. to describe it. It's just... I also love the devil. So
1: ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hail, um, uh, what, like, what's up with that? Is have you, has, has there been any um maybe you're not the one to know the answer to this, but like is there is that just by coincidence that you and your brother both is, or like is there no something clue. yeah my interesting. dad interesting.
3: Um his side of the family is also known to have O C D and he had it uh, a bit as a kid as well. So I know whoa, his uh, his lucky or his like numbers were like <laughs> two and four and he also didn't like number three. And so
2: did he have an aha moment with like you and your brother where no. he was like where he was like, oh, I think
3: shit. He, he probably blocked it out. Like to him, yeah. like he he's, you know, like y- I think for his generation, OCD wasn't really a thing to talk about. It wasn't really a thing in general. So it's really, yeah, no, it's really strange. My brother and I bond over the OCD a lot. Like we both know, like we both understand each other to a degree. Yeah.
2: You understand. I mean, you can understand (laughs) each other from a perspective that somebody without OCD can't quite, might not be able Mm -hmm. to get all the, they they might be able to empathize and and understand I mean, the same way that we can sit around and have a conversation and, and go hey i see where you're coming from and like you know you can explain it and we can but, understand but can that.
1: that lead to like can you can that lead to uh, worse outcome, you know? Like, can you guys right, really feed yeah, yeah. off each other and be like, "Oh, well, you hate three tooth? So do I." It's three, uh, maybe you're a three. Are you a three? I'm a three. Fuck, like, like, could you, could it be something along those lines? Or, it or is it that fast? It hasn't
3: been. It hasn't been so far. I mean, dude, got, you
1: just planted that seed, and <laughs> <laughs> now I'm
2: gonna go back and ah, see. I'm gonna be like, "Here we are."
3: Um, our relationship has been kind of strenuous. Um, we've been close and then we haven't been close. Mm. Uh, You know, at a point right now, we're pretty good, but I think I've always been at, I've been at a place for a while where my OCD, I'm very okay with it. So when he isn't, I'm, I can talk him down. I can say that's an intrusive thought. You don't really want to do that. And this is, you know, the logical side of what you're experiencing.
2: Like how, and how, When you're in that space, when he's in that space, or vice versa, like how hard is it to hear that? Like how hard is it to hear that and go, "You're right."
3: I'm blanking on like, like uh, Taylor,
1: like like, Taylor. When I ask you, uh, when I tell you you're being an asshole, right? uh, How hard is that for you to hear? Very.
3: Ah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you know, when when you're in that headspace and and he's saying, "Hey, that's an intrusive thought," or vice versa, whichever way it goes. The person being told that it's an intrusive thought. I mean, like, is the reaction like, no, it, f- no, it isn't. <laughs>
1: it yeah. is a real thought. I don't think it yeah. ever.
3: I don't think we've ever felt that way for either of hmm. us. I mean, maybe he has a little, just because sometimes you could get so into it, it's like your reality is misconstrued altogether. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, right. You. Right. How, how do you? How, did
1: you ever get into? Did you? I know you said that he, he had a, a, a bout of psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, did. Had you have you ever slipped into that no, space? That's
3: why I've always been cautious. Um, right, just thinking about the different things that could lead to it. So, for example, a lot of people in psychosis um, smoke pot. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay clear of that, only mm-hmm. because I don't know with my genetic background. Like I just, yeah. I just don't know.
0: Yeah. yeah. So did, I'm did your cautious. brother buy any chance? Did do you know I don't if he think did? So
3: I think the consensus is that he hasn't. Mm. Yeah. How did the, so
1: I, we've been talking about OCD for, for a while now. How, how did the OCD lead into? Anorexia. Yeah, the eating disorder. Yeah. So An- anorexia specific.
3: Um, so technically the diagnosis I have is eating disorder not specified because um, I never gave my BMI. So they had my weight. They had my height. Uh, they had other psychological background um but i didn't give my bmi which would have probably led to anorexia or the diagnosis what do you mean by
2: you didn't give it like you didn't allow them to take it Yeah,
3: i was very stingy about getting my body measured in any way whatsoever like i just Uh. like to pretend i didn't have one (laughs) and like um and I actually used to not weigh myself at all. I was very much into like the, what triggered the anorexia for me was that I weighed myself one day and I was like 117 pounds and I lost my mind. Like I spiraled, I cried, I sobbed. I was like, I'm fat. Cause I had gone from being someone who was always underweight, right? Like always like 90 to hundred pounds to being 117 pounds. And I was like, what the fuck happened here? And I had always been praised for being so light and so thin. Everyone around me, family, friends were just like, how would you do it? How are you so thin? And so being 117 pounds, I was like, I'm, you know, like they're going to think I'm fat and they're going to think I'm ugly. They and as in like, my, like g- family, general, general friends, everyone.
1: Yeah. The man, the you man. know, like the, the yeah. government,
3: the government's <laughs> going to think I'm fat. What <laughs> am I going to do? Um, so then on, I started restricting my diet. I started exercising a lot. I still ate every day. Like, people assume if you have anorexia, you just start fasting or you only eat ice cubes or something mm. crazy like that. Um, I had safe foods. I had like soups and popcorn. Those are pretty popular ones I've heard from the anorexic. Mm, really?
2: Because of like the, <laughs> because of like they have nothing, like yeah. they, they have no caloric value. Exactly.
3: I would have vegetables and fruit, coffee. Coffee's a huge one. Um, So with due time, I eventually lost not a significant amount of weight, only because I'm kind of a petite person in general. And so my danger weight would be like probably 70 pounds or something. Whereas I got down back to like mid 90 pounds and, I had people telling me you look really thin and like, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, F-f- no, I'm fine. And like, this is normal. Um, and part at the back of my mind, I knew there was something wrong. A lot of my intrusive thoughts were about being fat. A lot of my compulsions were about, you know, going for runs, um, pinching fat all over my body and like sucking in my stomach a lot again and again and again and again. And, um, yeah. No, do, do
1: you think that you, uh, I don't know why I would like, this is a, this is a hypothetical. So th- like maybe there's no point in asking this, but, but it, I am curious, like, do you think that if you didn't have OCD that you likely wouldn't have ended up with an eating disorder?
3: I don't know. That's actually a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, when I started to register that the eating disorder was a problem. I thought initially that it was it was more like a societal a societal thing. I thought, you know, um, I'm being told to be thin all the time. My friends all are worried about their weight. So therefore I am as well. So maybe this is a normal reaction. Maybe well, it's psychological. Right. I mean like in yeah. part
2: in part, yeah. Because when you were <clears throat> when you were describing those like pressures that you were feeling, I was like, Oh yeah. And like, that's the, that's kind of the part that sucks is like, is the, the, you know, the, the like, Oh, like how do you do it? Like that, like Mm -hmm. that is like, I, I, you know, hearing that I'm like, fuck, it sucks that that's a thing.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, mixed in with what you are, uh, exposed to already, which is the, which is the, the, the compulsive behavior and the, and the intrusive thoughts. It's like, Mm -hmm. then like combine those two things together. And then it like, it kind of breeds this new, this new element, which becomes the eating disorder. Which is, um, it, it almost seems like you're 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 like predisposed to to like to these other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, just hearing the whole like the whole conversation is like, you know, the 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 intrusive thoughts, you know, lead you to think this, and then I need to do that to prevent this, and then mm-hmm. it causes the stress, and it causes the anxiety, and that's like it almost seems like. You've got the like the OCD sort of is this umbrella, and there's all these things that fall yeah. underneath it, and like OCD is actually like the sum of of
3: the puppeteer, yeah, and it's like all of these <laughs> yeah. little
2: aspects that 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 play underneath it, um, and it almost seems like you're at you're at um, you're at risk of 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 like acquiring hmm. like other stuff as you go along. Yeah. There's
0: like all these <clears throat> triggers that you could never know if they're going to be triggers. It's oh, just like random things end up triggering you to like yeah. have these thoughts that lead to
3: That's you why know, these rituals. That's why I'm terrified psychosis. I'm like, I don't need another thing. Yeah. <laughs> right now, it's been about a year and I've been doing amazing. I like to think for the most part. My eating disorder is still a bitch. And I currently added a new medication, actually an antipsychotic. <laughs> Not for that reason. It's supposed to help with my... My other medication, it's supposed to amplify it um, so that I'm experiencing less compulsions. Um, so that's actually been pretty helpful.
1: Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this very short break. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig
2: deeper
0: um, how you're doing now, but I also am really hmm. curious about how you're doing your master's right now. And yeah. so obviously you've been in university for a while now and yeah. you've, you you're <laughs> successful enough to the point that you're doing your master's. I oh, mean, yeah. I didn't make it through second year. So, um, and I, I didn't have any mental illnesses at the time. So I, uh, I'm curious how you've been able to um, accomplish so much in spite of the fact that you're a lot of your life is consumed Dealing with these rituals in your OCD and your eating disorder.
3: I ask myself that every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
0: do you ever do like, do you, do you come up with rituals around, you know, excelling or, perf- I, or being perfectionist in, in school?
3: It's not even like that. They come out of nowhere. So sometimes they just sort of, it, it just depends on the trigger. Like I had a class where we were going to talk about STIs. And I was like, oh, Oh, yeah, so that was a really tricky one. Um, They just come out of nowhere. I mean, I've had to leave class because of, you know, I'm too distracted and I've had to postpone papers because, again, I'm too distracted. Um, I've had very understanding professors, which has been like really helpful. Um,
0: What's it like having conversations with professors about?
3: It's awkward and yeah, it's mostly just awkward. Do you I mean, feel like
0: you have to bring it up at the start of the semester or is it like something that might only come up depending on situations? I or? used
3: to bring it up at the beginning um, and then eventually I just waited to see how it would go. And so I've had some pretty understanding professors Um mostly I've just been able to do the work. Like I I think because of the illness itself, I'm harder on myself. I'm like, I need to work harder because I have something that's holding me back in comparison to all the other students I'm working Mm. beside. And actually I've had people question if I actually have been mentally ill. (laughs) I've had friends who, um, like with good intentions. Like, I, I don't think they were trying to be mean, but it was just kind of like, are you sure you're mentally ill? Because like, because you like know, you should be doing worse. You're doing, than- yeah. Like you're doing your masters and like you go out to drink once in a while and you're always laughing, goofing off, whatever. Mm. Are you sure you're mentally ill? Hmm. And you know, that's mostly a performative thing. I mean, not mm. all the time. I mean, I'm happy some of the time. Just because you have an illness doesn't mean you're always like gloomy and that like, is yeah. this dark cloud over your head. Like yeah. you're a fucking that's such human. An interesting
2: stigma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like usually it's it's sort of the it's sort of the opposite. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh God, fuck like you're just gonna you're gonna be oh, you're sad today. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, give me a break. Um that's that's wild that it's that it's the other way around that yeah. it's like oh you have these mental illnesses like we kind of want to see you underperforming <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we don't really believe you yeah. um,
3: and yet some people overreact too like I cut myself that's one of my compulsions um, one time I just cut my arm and it was pretty fresh and I wore a short uh, short t shirt short sleeve t shirt mm. and um, people freaked out they were like oh my god are you okay should we take you to the hospital like what's going on and i was like no just just leave leave me alone like this is a compulsion like i have it under control like i know what i'm doing and i have a psychologist and everything's good but it goes from one extreme to another extreme. Mm. It's when you so say funny. But like, in, were you just
1: were you in, walking around with like like were you walking around bloody? You uh, know, where
3: people no, are like no, no, Jesus no. Christ, carry yeah.
1: like. But it's <laughs> it's
0: funny though because in in that situation when they're almost overreacting, it's almost like they're being irrational, yeah. and you're actually being rational about it, which is is it's really ironic. Even though they're they're coming from like a compassionate place where they yeah. just want to make sure that you're okay.
2: Yeah, and,
0: and especially them, with like, the cut kind of, with
2: like I mean cut kind of like like cutting from the, like anybody who's not ever like had a, a conversation about that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I can see how that could be alarming.
3: Yeah. Like for be- oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I know it's good naturedly. I know they're Ooh. not yeah. trying to, you know, be that way. Um,
0: Plus also, you know, just because you're just because you, you've cut yourself and then you're feeling better doesn't mean that there might not be some underlying totally problem that needs to be addressed too. So even though you might be rational in the moment, it's fair for somebody to care for you and say, Hey, you okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And when you say, when you say you, you like, you talk about that with your psychologist, like when, if you, if, if a compulsion is to cut yourself, is there a conversation with your psychologist where there's like, where there's like a safe way to do it?
3: Yeah, there always is. I mean, Basically, they don't encourage it, but they're sure. not going to tell you what to do and what not to do with your body. Because, you know, no one's ever going to be there 24-7 with you holding your hand. Yeah. Right. Like, that's just yeah. a reality. Um, so it's mostly just talking about what are the thoughts that led you to do this? What are, the, are you feeling this
1: way? What are those thoughts? Is that okay to ask you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, mostly just... Anxiety. Um, Feeling like I'm a bad person, that I'm somehow secretly evil and that, you know, just having all these terrible feelings about myself to the point where cutting myself for myself is about compromise. It's about... I'm not going to have these thoughts for like the next hour because I had done this thing and that is the compromise, you know, like I'm going to be able hmm. to just go about my life for the rest of the day because I did that. And even then it doesn't always happen that way. Right. Mm. So it's kind of a lose, lose.
1: What do you, what do you, uh, just to come back to your masters, cause I think this is kind of interesting. You, mm. you are, you're researching something that seems to be pretty heavily relevant to your yeah. life. Yeah.
3: Well, that's what, Inspired it obviously, Mm -hmm. yeah. Why
1: don't you tell uh, the listeners what what it is you're doing?
3: Yeah, so um, I'm doing my research on how Nova Scotia policymakers define severe mental illness and how that influences the uh, creation and implementation of policies. Um, So I look at it through intersectionality, which is a theoretical framework that looks at how every social factor sort of influences how you see the world, and they're always intersecting. So, I'm a cisgendered, white, queer woman, young, middle class, all these things intersect with me, and they influence how I see the world and how I interact with the world. They also influence how I experience my illnesses, too, right? And like how it differs for other people. Like, because I'm someone who had two parents from the federal government, I had my treatment covered. Whereas Hmm. if you're someone from low income, you don't. Um, I also can navigate the mental health system and not experience racism. Um, That being said, you know, there is still some misogyny within the mental health system. So I've experienced that for sure. That being said, there are men (laughs) who don't even access mental health services because there is that fear of how illness is expressed through femininity. Mm. Um, So basically I look at how intersectionality how that interacts with severe mental illness and whether or not Nova Scotia policymakers actually look at it through that way. And basically how the definition of severe mental illness could create inequitable mental health policies through overly medicalized discourses.
1: What does that mean, overly medicalized discourse?
3: Meaning that severe mental illness is only framed through medical knowledge Mm. Um, how severe mental illness doesn't how it's not framed through our social environment, which it should be, you know, nature versus nurture, you know, there should be both. It's what I sort of try to argue is saying that gender will influence mental illness as well as brain chemistry. Mm. It doesn't have to be either or, whereas, you know, we have a more holistic approach to mental health now, but mental illness has always been very medical.
2: Is it, mm. is, is it is it the idea that is it the idea that um, that the people who are in place to to make policy can't because of the over medicalization of these things they can't um, they can't even re- really understand what what it is that they're trying to make policies about
3: to a degree. I think that by only using medical discourse, they don't acknowledge how there are people that are more stigmatized in the mental health system, not just because of their mental illness, but because of their race, because of their ethnicity, because of their gender and mental illness itself is influenced by our social environment. So Mm -hmm. by not acknowledging that you're only seeing one part of the problem so medication isn't going to solve systemic racism. It's not going to solve hmm. all these things that are going to influence your mental health and your mental illness. So they are missing a part of the puzzle, I think, that is pretty essential to addressing severe mental illness. Is or, there or,
1: anyone doing work to change this? Like, I, I, aside from you doing the research in your <laughs> master's, like, is there, is there, are there people out there who, who are really like, gung-ho to get this message out there and to to make the change that needs to be made?
3: Um, in Canada, yes. There is some research out there. there. There is a lot of talk about intersectionality with mental health and illness. Um, not as much as I'd like to see. Intersectionality is a pretty um, popular theoretical framework, but it's mostly in disability studies. It's mostly... And other health issues like mm. um, pregnancy, like you know, maternal care, and all these other areas. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it a lot of mental health and illness, and mm. p- particularly severe mental illness is a big
2: it's a big challenge that the that when you when you start to deal with like big with large populations,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: start to you start to categorize in big chunks. Yeah, and the reality is, like you said, that every individual is made up of. I mean, I don't know what the how many influences you would, might put on a cap for somebody, but let's say everybody's got like 100 influences, just mm-hmm. for the sake of the argument. Uh, That's a lot of influences. <laughs> right, it, exactly, right? Wow. But then, and then no one's influences are the same. Yeah. No, no one's 100 influences are the same. And so then you get, like, you, like you understand at an individual level that the care that somebody needs is highly individual. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's but the way that it's developed, because of large populations, well, it's, it's blanket
0: policies right. for yeah. for you know populations right. that are so unique and diverse that a blanket policy cannot possibly right. speak to right. all of the populations that. And that's the shortcoming
3: to. too. Like I mean, it, it is a very you know it, it would be ignorant to say oh just do this, right. just apply an intersectional. Yeah base to defining experimentalness. Like there are obviously with population health approach too. it's like it's very difficult to just assist everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's because the
2: person that is in that position would have to be familiar with with every with all the Aspects that could influence yeah. a person, well, which is in in its in and of itself. There's a hundred of them. That's a lot. A but, massive challenge. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's it's, too many.
0: Is the problem also that policymakers <laughs> don't? It, the, the people making the actual decisions aren't diverse.
3: That could be it as well. Um, One of the policy analysis I actually apply to my research is called intersectionality-based policy analysis. So it basically is a guideline. It asks questions for policymakers to incorporate equity, to incorporate power, social justice, um, basically looking at you know, like addressing all the systemic oppression that would influence their creation of policies. Hmm. So it try, it tries to make them mindful regardless of your social location. Is
0: it, is it possible though? Because are some biases subconscious and hard to, hard to be conscientious about, or uh, I guess address.
3: I think that they would have the ability to address them still. And, I mean, you're always going to have a bias. It's regardless, right? Like, if you're a mental health professional, of course you're going to rely on a mental I guess that's
0: knowledge. intersectionality, right?
3: Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also interesting to see who the policymakers are. Like, typically they do also try to address um, marginalized groups. So, like, the mental health strategies I look at, they talk about how they look at different organizations that help African Nova Scotians, um, indigenous groups and like all these different things. Like they do try to talk to these people, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to like hit home for them Mm. to adequately put that into the policy.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do when you're, when you're done? <laughs> That's like, a trigger question.
3: Right now I'm applying everywhere. I mean, I would love to work for health Canada, but, mm. um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm just, I need money. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: speaking of triggering, um, how, how do you know you're 20, you're turning 24. I'm turning 24. Yeah. Um, how are you
3: now? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Um, My current medication that I'm on has been very difficult to adjust to. It's really messed with my confidence. (laughs) It's a mess with my appetite as well. Um, So I've been kind of struggling in some ways, but not too badly. Like my OCD is always going to be there. That's just a fact that I have to live with. Um, I live with my boyfriend. And so sometimes I'll do compulsions and I don't even realize I'm doing Mm. them. Like I say things to myself and he's like, what to do Um, (laughs) stuff like that where I'm just like oh I didn't know or like I'll pinch my stomach and he's like stop that like he'll (laughs) hit my hand and be like don't do that um is that
1: helpful when he calls you out
3: yeah no it totally is it's it's very helpful and that's one of the ways that as a partner he supports me which is wonderful and how friends also support me um so I still have those issues but I'm doing much better than when I was before
1: Mm. is that uh, to come back to that like is that helpful (laughs) Is that a personal thing or is that is that kind of a general thing like like maybe someone's listening to this right now and they know that their roommate has OCD but like mm. they they haven't really ever called the roommate out <laughs> on their rituals is that something that is typically encouraged by you know by like the the people that you surround yourself with to like what a, would a, psychi- a psychiatrist or a psychologist say to someone like yourself or just to, to a caretaker like someone in your life and say yeah yeah like let katie know she's pinching herself like slap her hand <laughs> tell her
3: i can't say that for everybody that is an appropriate sure. measure um especially if you're just like if you haven't ever addressed it i would just yeah i would just say you know ask let them know that you're there for them and like yeah. you, you think that there's something wrong but like that you're open to talking to them about it. Yeah, um, it's a very individual thing. Like I I Totally. It's like everyone's recovery is individual. Which is why
1: I told you Taylor not to slap that person's hand on the bus the other day I just, when you saw them you pitch just in their stomach. To help. Yeah, I was just yeah. trying to be helpful. And Whatever. I was like, mm, don't, don't, do, don't do don't that. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Uh, fuck you. Okay, wow, man. You're being an asshole. Hey, uh, fuck off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Katie,
0: uh I, I guess from more of like a caregiver's perspective or somebody supporting somebody else going through OCD, um, how do you support your brother?
1: Hmm.
3: Well, I mean, I've offered to be a listening ear within reason because, you know, I've sometimes he's used that too much. And so sometimes I have to set boundaries and step back and say I have my own stuff to deal with. Um, another way too is like just... Doing things with him, like going to the movies with him, where he gets very anxious around crowds, um, just being there with him, right? Like helping him through those anxiety-provoking situations. That's mm-hmm. always that's one of the number one ways I would say to support your mentally ill friend or family member, or whoever. Just you don't need to be necessarily a listening ear. You don't need to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist just go and do normal things with them and help them get through those normal things that are really hard.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Does he live in the same town as you?
3: No, he lives in Ottawa.
1: Okay. Okay. But you guys get to see each other throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, before we wrap this up, there is one question that I want to ask that we ask most of our, our (laughs) listeners, um, which is, uh, so so it's a two parter um, out of, out of everything that you've gone through and experienced, what would you say is the biggest thing that your OCD and or eating disorder has taken away from you?
3: I would say my childhood to a degree, not, not all of it, but it made me grow up faster, which sucks obviously. And my eating disorder has taken away a lot of wonderful experiences that were just tainted by me overthinking about my body and about, um, compulsions and like being too busy with those things is what I would say.
1: What would you say, um, is the biggest thing that your OCD and your, your eating disorder has given you?
3: It has made me extremely empathetic. Um, it has made me extremely mindful and it has fueled one of my academic passions, which is pretty neat, um, to be an insider researcher. Um, it also has made me grateful for all the good times and it's made me navigate the harder times more mindfully and that I know that they're not going to be there forever. And I know that they could be worse because I've been in worse. Um, so it's given me a healthy perspective on how mental health can really fluctuate. Mm.
0: Katie, I want to say, um, thank you so much for being so open and honest and vulnerable with us. Um, I just really, I I I really connected to a lot of things that you said, but I also really, um, I'm really fascinated in the research that you're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. I would love to follow up and learn more about that. So, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. thanks. yeah thanks a lot. I love. I also just want to say I love how much whenever you say vulnerable, your voice cracks because it makes it makes vulnerable, vulnerable. sounds it makes so, much, more vulnerable. so much more vulnerable. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Uh <laughs> um, don't overthink it Brian. Uh I starting a ritual now. Um uh, <laughs> but I but I do I, I share the same sentiment. I, I thank you so much for for yeah. doing this cuz yeah. I think uh uh I mean I'm speaking for our listeners that I think this is a really Really wonderful conversation, thank so you. thanks yeah. for coming in.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: And uh, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back next week, as we always are, with a wonderful conversation. And in the meantime, if you want to help us out, there's a couple things you can do. You can go to Apple Podcasts, and you can leave
2: a rating and a review, and hit the subscribe button. Smash it, and then go on, head on over to patreon.com slash sickboy if you want to contribute to our um, penthouse fund. Um, we've been drawing on that for a long time, working our way towards um, one of the most expensive um, flats in Halifax. Yeah, we've got a long way to go. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for all of you who are inching us that much closer. Uh, But in all seriousness, your support helps us um, do uh, basically everything that we do. Um, We thank you for that. Gets us on the road, brings you uh, more amazing conversations every week. So Mm -hmm. patreon.com slash sickboy. That is patreon.com slash Sick Boy. And uh, if you
0: haven't told any of your friends about Sick Boy and you listen to Sick Boy all the time and you're just keeping your friends in the dark about it, just uh, don't keep them in the dark anymore. Yeah, yeah. Don't,
2: don't be a tailor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, just go watch the movie, pay it forward, and then you'll get the idea.
0: Yeah. Just be vulnerable with your friends. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when you try to and, do it, it doesn't. And
0: just share, share what really means so so much to you. Um, this podcast and uh, thanks to Donovan the CPAP Morgan for the amazing sound design on this show um, thanks for making it feel like we are at the movies comforting our friends who find it difficult to be in public places and uh, and making it sound like I'm just digging into a big old bag of popcorn and uh, there's M&M's inside of it too what kind of movie is it Brian? it's a horror movie
1: oh this is not good <laughs> This is not a bad, I, bad choice I for am the. I'm scared. Yeah. Bad <laughs> choice for the anxiety, trying to help your friend with anxiety. And thanks to Take Part for the theme music on this show. Uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. Katie. And this is Sick Boy.
3: Sweet.